Welcome back, everyone, to the FlowTrack Podcast. I'm Kevin Sully, joined by Gordon Mack. FlowTrackPodcast at gmail.com is the email address. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, FlowTrack Podcast YouTube channel. Listen to the podcast wherever you get your audio podcasts. Gordon, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing good. Wednesday, getting close to Halloween. Um, I got, I'm already putting together my costume. I could show you. I'm kind of gluing the different stuff together. I'm uh, very excited about my Halloween costume. I kind of want you to dress up in like a Halloween outfit on Friday for that podcast mm. because oh. Halloween will be over by the time next Monday happens. So I want you to do a Halloween theme podcast but i'm not sure if i can get you maybe get your kids to dress you up with something like a vampire or some some crazy thing i don't know what are your thoughts we have a we have a costume we have a costume we have a family costume for the first time ever i don't know if it's gonna it should be here by friday but we're doing a conference and civil conference recap that day should we do the in costume is that how you want to yeah why not why not i I don't know how well mine's gonna look on screen but i will do my best to make it okay make it happen um well our, our company's having a halloween costume contest today at four so i'm testing out my costume today at four and then i'll do it again on friday and then i have a party on saturday so i'm gonna get the costume three uses out of it that's the goal that's good that's good and then when you go trick-or-treating on sunday too yeah sure four four in a row four uses well i live i live in a house for the first time so yeah. I, am I going to have trick-or-treaters? Is that what happens? I no have never lived no in a house. No one's going down to your forest, man. There's no way. No? Uh, okay. Too spoo- Actually, it is kind of spooky down there. You, you'll probably get some hardy souls. We get a lot near us because the houses are close together, and there's a neighborhood near us where houses are one on top of the others. We get a lot of people. But yeah, you'll get more than you did when you lived in an apartment, which was probably zero. But and no I was coming up to the third floor of my apartment to be like, knock on my door for some candy. That was never happening. I wouldn't expect too many over there, but you never know. You never know. Some people could surprise you. You could get the teenagers who knock on the door at 930 and you're, you're confused and they have a suit, uh, not a suitcase, a pillowcase. And you're just like, all right, respect the hustle, man. Keep, <laughs> stay forever young. Get, get back out there. Uh, speaking of Friday, so we got the, the conference championships. You want to run through what we're going to see on Friday for NCAA Cross and then the show that we're going to do? Yeah, so live on FlowTrack. Um, the Big East Cross Country Championships. Um, they start at 10 a.m. Central. So that should be good old cross country action live on flow. But Friday basically is the day for all the, the big time conferences competing in their conference championships. So starting at like 9 a.m. Central is ACC all the way to 2 p.m. Central is the end of Big Sky. So because of that, all these conferences are happening basically when we would done the podcast between 9 and 10. We're pushing the podcast back to 2.45 p.m. Central so then we can react to all of the, the major conferences like Big East, SEC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, West Coast. You get the idea. Okay. Yeah, it should be it should be good. I mean, I just got one after the other after the other, so we're trying to think of a recording time, and I just said, hey, let's just wait till." Wait till it all wraps. And then, of course, Big East, you can watch live on Flow. 10 a.m. Central is when the coverage starts. Is there one particular conference that is noteworthy for you or has something special that you're watching for? 
Well, typically, the Pac-12 is like the the best of the best, right? But after this past, you know, pre-Nat Nuttycomb weekend, especially on the women's side, Pac-12 kind of has not the same type of pizzazz as, as it's had in the past. I think for me, the the one thing I'm most looking forward to is seeing Oklahoma State versus Iowa State at Big 12s because yeah. Oklahoma State decided not to run at the pre-net weekend. And also to see if if we see a full squad of Notre Dame. And while Notre Dame could probably still win ACCs without a full squad, if we start if we see a year in the goose out there, then we can truly start analyzing whether or not this team is for real to win a national mm. title. So because regionals, you're not really gonna see that because we know regionals is just uh it's a prelim, so there's no need to go hard. But I'm sure Notre Dame wants to win ACC, so hopefully they put out a, a full squad. But yeah, and then on the women's side, um, most of the the women's teams, the, like the top tier teams, are kind of all separated, right? NC State at ACC, BYU at West Coast, New Mexico mm-hmm. Mountain, and uh, Colorado at um, Pac-12. So I guess maybe will any of those teams lose? Like, could Colorado get upset by uh, Stanford that finally puts it together? That would be something mm-hmm. interesting to watch. I like it that you're looking for a Notre Dame full-team sighting. You got your binoculars. Yeah. You're out there watching I'm for it. I'm on the look. On the lookout. On the women's side? Yeah, women's side, I, I mentioned. Uh, can oh, they... one of the top four teams get upset? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I just wonder, uh, you know, I remember how – crazy conferences were last season and how much weight they carried remember because there was no regional meets last year and now we're back to the the old ways of conferences at least close to the old ways which is great by the way very excited to have it have it back but i just remember that one year you know snapshot in time last march when it was this is it this is it you better run really really hard not that teams don't go hard in their conference meets anyway but to put extra extra pressure on it, which was a, which was a cool dynamic. Um, all right. So that's Friday again, two forty-five centrals when the show will be, let's get to the rest of the show here. We're going to talk about USATF announcing the world, uh, champs marathon selection process. Talk about that, uh, story in the Oregonian by Ken go about the Oregon program and accusations of body shaming. Uh, and then we'll also talk about, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, TJ Gale the long jump world champion from 2019 from Jamaica says he wants to sprint in 2022. We'll start first though real quick with the marathon selection story. Gordon, uh, your thoughts on uh, on this process. So basically the first finisher, this is to, to pick the people for Eugene 2022, or at least get the order because we don't know if everybody's going to accept it. It's not like the Olympics, not a guarantee. So basically, USATF announced the procedure finally. We had wondered what it was going to be. Is it just going to be a descending order list or is it going to be something more complicated? They're going to put in the first American from the Olympics. So that would be Rupp and Seidel. And then from there, they're going based on places from the platinum level fall marathons in the US, which would be Boston, which already happened, Chicago, which already happened, and New York, which is coming up. So under that 
set of guidelines right now, the order would be Rupp, Colin Mikau, Colin Benny, the men, the top three, and then the women, Seidel, Bates, and Hall. But what are your thoughts on this selection procedure? So I'm kind of, I'm going to break it down of how I feel like they came to this selection criteria. I think originally it was going to be the way it's always been. It was always a, just a descending order list within the time frame of mm-hmm. you know when you can when a, a marathon is eligible for world athletics. Mm-hmm. However, I think they looked at that descending order list after these past two marathons and they're like are we really going to not select Molly Seidel, the Olympic bronze medalist? That makes no sense. And they're like, we don't think, I, I bet you they were like, There's, Molly's not going to be able to increase her time because she's running at New York City. And mm-hmm. likely New York City is going to be a slower pace. So, because it's a harder course. So are we really going to just go purely off of time and not, benefit the the athletes who competed really well at a high quality meet. So I bet you they were like, all right, well, Molly got freaking third at the Olympics. I think people will justify, if you got third at the Olympics, you deserve to be on the next team. And then they looked at it, they're like, well, you know what? Rupp was like top, was eight, so top 10. You know what? Let's make it top 10 instead of top. I bet you originally it was gonna be top five and then changed to top 10. So it could be kind of, all right, we have Rupp on the men's side. Side L on the on the women's side. And then because they did that, they were like, oh, well, we can't go straight to time. Then they just were like, all right, we'll introduce places as opposed to time, which I kind of like because time is not equal everywhere. It's not like it's a 400 meter track everywhere. You know, you can run a, a slower time in Boston and it'd be a more impressive performance than someone that runs at like CIM. Yeah. Uh, now the thing that the so as a result it basically helps out the people who ran well at Chicago and Boston. Now the thing that I don't like about it is why are we finding out about the selection criteria after two thirds of the opportunities are already gone? Yeah, yeah. Fair point. Fair counter there, Gordon. Isn't part of the reason why it's top ten as well too? Is that's that take that waves the time standard because that gives you the auto basically into the meet for qualification. I saw that one. So that could be part yeah. of it. for the for the platinum races, not not for the Olympics, I don't think. But I agree with you. Every process to pick a team other than a trials race is flawed to me. So this has its drawbacks, but I'm willing to say it's a good way to do it. The only issue with it is you have to announce it before you start the qualification <laughs> process, not when you're two thirds of the way through. Yeah, and like maybe, and there's like some athlete out there who's like, like a, like a Martin Herher who's like, I have a pretty good time right now. Yeah, like I'm I'm in, I'm in a good spot. I don't need to go run Chicago or Boston. But now he's like, crap, I should have ran Chicago or Boston. Mm-hmm. And I, I bet you Martin Harris like, I could have beaten Colin McCow at Chicago. And he's like probably kicking himself. Um, so 
I just feel like they should announce this before those marathons. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two, it's weird that the Boston Marathon in April doesn't count. What do you mean? Oh, the upcoming one. Yeah. Gotcha. Because you have to declare for this on in June, right? That's when you have to declare by? Right, right. There's another U.S.-based major marathon in April of 2022 where they should have been – that should have been also – like, mm-hmm. are we going to say if, if some – if Martin Herher goes and runs or Noah Girardi or someone else or Jake Riley or whoever goes to Boston in April and finishes, like, third, are we going to be yeah. like, uh, no, we got to take Colin McCow who got sixth at Chicago? That doesn't yeah. Make sense. This is the this is the issue with coming up with it after the fact and reverse engineering the policy. Also, you get into the situation where not all these fields are created equal. Now, if you look at these lists, especially on the women's side, if you sent a team of Seidel, Bates, and Hall, people would say, oh, that's a, that's a solid squad. But yeah. if people knew ahead of time, it has to, it's going to come down to where you place. There would have been a little bit more strategy. I think because the Chicago, let's just compare the women's Chicago and Boston fields were not the same. Chicago had one international woman who was top flight, Chepnigetch, right? And then yeah. it was the majority of the elites in there were American. Now you still had to finish well amongst the Americans. So I get that, but just the, the ability to finish in the top 10 was so much easier on the, on the Chicago side than it was on the Boston side. Ultimately, again, I don't know if it'll matter. And here's the problem with this, Gordon. This is an issue that's going to come up what once every world championships, maybe, because most world championships, people aren't that into running anyway in the marathon. And we're not going to make this the policy for the Olympics. So coming up with a sustainable selection criteria for world championships marathon, I don't think is high on anybody's to-do list. Yeah, I mean, I just don't like that there's only three opportunities to qualify and the two of them already existed. Like, it just it makes no sense. Um, I know then eventually we'll go off a of time, right? Uh, once. Well, that's – what do you mean? Well, won't they – yeah, so basically the – if if everyone who f- finished top ten at Chicago or Boston all just say no, eventually it'll go oh, to right, people yes. who yeah had a fast time. I mean, this definitely one good thing about it is we are selecting people who are more recently running well as opposed to later, right? Because the marathon project, while those were quicker times for American standards, they yeah. were happened December of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say that performance is why we you should represent America in July 2022. That seems a little yeah. far away, right? So much can happen between then. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, they – yeah, I just think they should have – if I had to fix it, if I had to fix it, I think they should have made it um, – I like the idea of getting the Olympic top Olympian – people on it because in the end of the day yes it is 
giving an unfair advantage to Molly Seidel, but she got freaking third at the Olympics. She can have the unfair advantage, right? Yeah. And Galen Rupp is given an unfair advantage, but Galen would have got in no matter what the criteria was because he's just the best. Mm-hmm. So not going to complain about that. But as for the second and third spot, you just think would like, would Kira D'Amato, like, would she have been like, I'm going to go to New York instead of Chicago because, you know, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be, maybe I could get a higher slot there. Then going up against an Emma Bates and a uh, Sarah Hall, right? Because no. then she'd be like, no, no, no. "I don't know." No, no. Her this was her best chance to finish because it's not where you finish amongst Americans, correct? It's overall place in that field. Yeah, right. Well, what, so how, how deep is the New York City field? Much, much deeper than Chicago. Is, is what I'm saying, right? You have True. the gold medalists in there in Perez Jepchir Chir. You have you have a that's, so the women's the women's situation is crazy right now because for anybody to unseat this top three, they got to go faster than, or they got to get better. They got to get third, right? If you get yeah. fourth in the race of your life, get fourth in New York City, you're not going. For the men, uh, Benny's seventh is in there. I could see a situation where someone in New York is able to, to get sixth or fifth. But no, the the strategy here. I think would have been to go to Chicago and then you need to make sure that you finish no worse than the second American American because you already yeah. have Seidel. Yeah. This is for the women. Cause you have Seidel already in there. The men's fields ended up being a bit more balanced on the elite side. That's the weird part of this. This is a selection for an American team, but it's taking you an account. Basically it's waiting how well your non-American competition did and performed, which is a weird, thing to to weigh it also oh, would have been strange as how do you how do you how where did you place amongst the americans in boston and where did you go where did you place against the americans in chicago then you're basically having a trials race but not telling anybody it's a trials race and splitting it between three races and giving one person a buy yeah so if i had to solve this they definitely should just open up boston 2022 as a fourth opportunity i think that would be Mm -hmm. only fair and you just at the end of the day you're gonna feel for someone like kira damato right she's been running out of her mind like going going from just a nobody to a somebody right had that incredible you know time trial 5k ran the fast 10k then goes on and run the incredible marathon at the marathon project and gets freaking fourth at chicago like but, you know, she's just going to be blocked by just happenstance of Emma Bates running out of her mind, Sarah Hall always being Sarah Hall, and then Molly Seidel obviously doing what she did at the Olympics. Um, but yeah. Kira D'Amato was in line to get the spot, but because they created the auto spot for Seidel, D'Amato's now on the outside looking in. And I think all three of those women are going to accept it. I think... I don't think anyone's yeah. going to reject it unless they get hurt, right? Like everyone's going to pretty much. Yeah, I would think they'd give it a this. shot. This is a this is a 2022 issue, is what I'm saying. I don't think it's going to continue too much to 2023 and World Championships and beyond because I think that's going to regress. Because by then, knock on wood, we're back to the more traditional major setup too. So people are able to lock in races earlier, get the appearance fee. Yeah, you'll have some good people decide to do it here and there, but. 
you'll get, you'll have a lot more people passing. Okay. So I'm looking at the New York fields. So the women, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for anybody to get in the top three because you have Jip Chircher, who's run 217. Aga of Ethiopia has run 218 and Johannes who's run 219. So you have three sub 220 women. You have Yeshina of Ethiopia who's run 220, who's run a ridiculous half marathon as well too. Uh, you have another woman who's run 222, Nancy Kiprop. So that'll be tough to get in the in the top three. For the men though, the men I could see getting interesting here, Gordon, because obviously you have Bekele as the headliner, but we saw he struggled in Berlin and now he's going to try to run two marathons this fall. You have Nagi in there who was a medalist in, in Tokyo. So he's solid. And then you have a lot of people who have run 207s and 208s and Noah Drati's entered in there and Jared Ward is in there. Also, I guess you could say Kibiwat Candy, who's half marathon world record holder. We'll see how he does in the full marathon, but you definitely could see. In fact, I would predict an American would end up in the top six there, which would be enough to to push Benny out. Just don't know who it is. Maybe it's Ben True with his debut. You think Colin Benny is going to be like, all right, let's just go inch. for broke and go run. Uh, if Shalane Flanagan can do it, maybe I yeah, can yeah, do he, it and I'm just going to go in and... He calls Shalane Here's up. the question. Here's, here's the one thing about this selection you don't like. If I mean, this won't ever happen, but imagine if... I don't know, an athlete, athlete A, whatever, on a women's side or men's mm-hmm. side, goes to a non-platinum race in December, right? Yeah. Is 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 Valencia platinum? No, I – well, that's a good question. I don't think so. Let's, just, let's pretend they're not from this scenario. Goes out there and breaks the American record in the marathon. According to the yeah. system, they would not be selected. Right? Correct. Correct, yes. Yeah. That seems kind of weird. Platinum. Are we going to say seven, sixth at Chicago is more impressive than the American record in Valencia? I don't think so. So it is platinum in Valencia. Okay. Okay, well, CIM. Take, take any type of – Sure. The, the, Houston, the Houston Marathon. How about the Houston Mar- Marathon? Got it, yeah. Break the American record at the Houston Marathon. That's in January. So that's the only thing I don't like. But at the same time, no process can be perfect. At the end of the day, you're only getting three people. The women's team right now is a team that makes sense, right? Hall, Bates, and Seidel. It's the men's team that's kind of weird, right? It's Benny. The men's team is always going to be weird. That's true. always going to be weird because once you have Ruff on there, we don't know who two and three are. So you're no matter what system you use to come up with it, you're gonna get a weird you could have a trials race and you'd come up with a weird result too, based on that's true the rest of the US men right now. I the, to me the weird part is you're factoring in again the strength of the international competition. What if Iliad Kipchoge at the last minute decides to run New York, jumps in and pushes Jared Ward one spot back, or Noah Drati one spot back? It's just yeah. it's uh, it's left up to the whims and the budgets of these meet organizers which is interesting to me i i don't think they're gonna have any desire to change it though since they were so slow in getting it out to begin with i think this will this will be it they'll close the book on it and then they'll they'll move forward but mm-hmm. uh, this the spring would be interesting because it would add a little bit of it would just basically make boston a 
a qualifying race for people who want to do it, which would be fun. You mentioned how it seems kind of wrong that non-Americans can affect uh, the selection of Americans. That is a big reason why I hate the way we score NCAA track and field because you're having a random, you're, you know, there's really only like 10 teams that can win a NCAA, uh, NCAA track team title, but their points, it's purely based off of random individuals who can push up or down your team score, you know, like a top miler in the 1500 can affect the best miler among these team teams, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess the difference with this, well, with NCAAs is like, well, everybody's at least clearly competing for the same thing. And there's theoretically some balance between all the events. It's just one year. Everybody could decide all the top Kenyans or Ethiopians could go to, to one marathon. Right. And then you have, or they could not go to, it's like in Chicago on the women's side, it was just basically one woman and that decision. It's less the athletes and more just how the race director decided to or to not allocate their budget. I think what they should have done, the best way to solve this would have been total uh, overall points. So you score each marathon about 25 deep for all the world marathon majors this year. And Shalane Flanagan goes, she accumulated a million points. I like that. That's all of it. And then she's like, <gasps> I had no idea what the criteria was. Guess I have to run the world championships now. Can we get, maybe Shalane gets, how great would it be if Shalane got third in New York? And she's like, all right, Shalane's on the team. She's like, I mean, oh, I wasn't planning on that. So what they should have done, this would have been a funny practical joke, would be to set, have another criteria that they released early on that just was very specific that Flanagan was getting selected. <laughs> just to see, just to see her reactions. It's like the first spot will go to anybody who competed in the following world marathon majors and, and finished under two hours and 56 minutes. Oh, uh, I don't know. If she, I don't know if she wants to, it, it would only be funny if she didn't want to do it. And then she's like, Oh no, I'm conflicted now. But yeah, TBD on this. I, I think the big thing is, you're right, Rupp and, Rupp and Seidel getting to go because I'm really excited to see them compete in Eugene. And then it adds a little bit of extra intrigue to New York City as well. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense because, like, we also, even though Rupp went on to run well at Chicago regardless. Um, yeah. Like, there were the the Olympians were were at a disadvantage going into the marathon season, right? right. So yeah. you have to give them credit for doing something impressive in August, you know. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it makes sense. Hundred percent. Yeah, it makes you think. Like, hear me out. Would we ever consider like doing this type of stuff for like? other selections for the olympics yeah like no i don't think we should because i think that the trials system is the best by far and then a huge gap and then there's all these other ways to select a team that are much worse and have much clearer drawbacks i think this would have been fun for a 
world championship, hey, one off, there's a lot of interest in Eugene, so we need to make sure we clarify it. It would have been more fun, though, if we knew about it ahead of time, even a month or two yeah, ago. Yeah, because then we could have gone into Boston and Chicago knowing, oh, whoa, Nel Rojas. Yeah. Oh, just missed out because of what happened in Chicago, you know, like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's a missed opportunity, I think, there just to follow it. Now, looking at it in retrospect, it's not as cool. Like, okay, let me just pull up the results. Oh, who finished where? Oh, sixth versus seventh. Ah, tough break. Sorry. Better luck next home world championships when everybody wants to run the marathon in however many years that'll be. Who knows? Um, all right. I want to get your opinion on this Oregon story. I'm sure everybody's read it by this point. Gordon Kengo of the Oregonian wrote article. Headline is women athletes allege body shaming within Oregon Ducks track and field program. And the story centers around six female athletes, Gordon, who left the U of O in recent seasons, talking about issues that they had, um, being at risk for eating disorders, um, and just a litany of issues here. They go into detail, um, pulls out some specific examples as well, too. A lot of it centers around the use of a, a DEXA scan machine, which is uh, measuring your bone density and also body fat percentage and the pressure that the athletes felt to meet um, benchmarks and their participation was um, impacted based on how how they uh, what their data was on on the DEXA scans. Um, everybody should read the article if they haven't yet. I'm assuming most people have. Within the article, um, there's a quote here from. Oregon head coach Robert Johnson that I wanted to read. Uh, he says, if those things were their experiences here, it's shameful. Johnson says, we try to give them the information, the execution to deal with these things. If they chose choose to engage in those, there's help there. We can't read their minds. Um, what was your reaction reading reading these allegations from Ken Go and the Oregonian, Gordon? Uh, well, unsurprised. First, kind of like it kind of is making sense that a national caliber program like Oregon is going to go beyond, they're going to over analyze and really dive deep to try to get any minute advantage over the competition, especially because they have the funding. It's like the home of track and field. And so when, when presented with this, you know, new data point that they can try to, the DEXA scans that they can try to use as an advantage, it can lead to kind of lean into it a little bit too hard and try to oversimplify it. And as a result, there are going to be a percentage of athletes who aren't able to comprehend the data appropriately because they're 18 years old, they're 19 years old, they're not robots who can kind of be like, yes, totally. 13% body fat. I'm on it. See you later, coach. Like there's people who we're not 18 to 22 year olds aren't professional athletes and they're not being paid to dedicate their life to something like this. It's at the end of the day, they just, they, they're running track and field in college because it's a, it's a fun hobby and passion and it brings them joy to be on a team. And they happen to be also really good at it and it's fun to compete to win. Uh, but when it becomes down to such an analytical thing, the, pers the 
person behind the data can kind of sometimes get lost. And I think this story basically is telling the story of six women who weren't able to handle this, understandably, because not everyone is built like a, a robot, right? And they kind of fell victim to this uh, process of overanalyzing the body fat and like how to like I heard wasn't there a, a quote in there like they weren't allowed to travel if they're over a certain percentage there was like just right. such strict the rules around it and then you start messing with your brain and be like am I am, am I wrong like because we can tell you this not it, it's not like a hundred percent that if you're within this body fat percentage you're great. And if you're not within it, you're bad. Like that's not how it works. There are people who are within the body fat percentage who are not great. And there are people who are outside the body fat percentage who are great. And when you start only focusing on body fat percentage and not focusing on just eating healthy and training hard and being mentally stable, if all you're thinking about is a number, the it's, you stop thinking about that you're eating healthy. You just start thinking about eating points and it's just like mm -hmm. food is not points food is food it's supposed to be enjoyed it's supposed to be you know a, a, a good part of being a human being that we put food into us and then we expose energy to go run fast uh mm -hmm. and so i think the i think the quote that kind of comp that puts it all together <laughs> was coach johnson said Track is nothing but numbers. A good mathematician probably could be a good track coach. Mm. First of all, I don't know. I mean, my fourth grade math coach, math, I didn't know my math teacher was also my, could have been my future track coach. But uh, that statement of like, it's so simple. It's just, it's just numbers. You just got to be within this number and you're good. If you're not, you're not good. Like, yes, there are percentages of people who, Typically, if you aren't obese, you're probably not going to be as fast as someone who is. You're, if you're obese, you're not going to be as fast as someone who's not obese, right? That's. But when you go to an extreme of like, well, this one point two percent difference, it you're just throwing mm -hmm. out the purpose of the whole sport, right? It's like, I mean, this, this whole it kind of reminds me of the whole story against Alberto Salazar, where he kind of was becoming OCD about body fat percentage. And when you become OCD about something, it stops being for the purpose you thought it intended to be. And it starts distracting you from the reality that really the best athletes are the best athletes, not because they follow a percent body fat point structure. They're the best athletes because they do the correct workouts. They have a physical talent to be able to do these workouts and they know how to treat keep their body in a healthy state mm -hmm. it's not they're not trying to keep their body within a certain point number they're just trying to keep their body mm -hmm. in a healthy state and i can t there's a lot of extremely fit and extremely healthy people who eat cake who eat a cheeseburger who you know mm -hmm. they know how to like they're not eating seven cheeseburgers a week they're not doing that but they eat a cheeseburger right because they understand they're burning off so many calories they can do that michael phelps 
you look at a, the meal that Michael Phelps would eat on a daily basis, it's insane. But he can do it because he's an elite athlete who's burning off calories and he knows how to keep his body in line. And when you turn things into a number, like Michael Phelps ate when he was hungry. So that's what he did. He didn't eat to like hit a point number and he became the greatest Olympian of all time. So I think it's just a problem of some people not able to uh, understand there's nuance to the human body and human bodies are not Excel sheets and data points. Yes, data can help. It's been, yes, it's, it's important, yeah. but it's not a one and a zero. When this stuff has been going on prior to these advances in technology that allows it to be quantified in such specific ways. So to me, it's not about the machine. And I know the machines are also used for, you know, figure out bone density, right? So it prevent injuries. So there's, there's good stuff that, that goes along with it as well, too. It's more about the culture surrounding. It's the same thing with, oh, we need more of, you know, more nutrition's on our, more nutritionists on our staff or more psychs on our staff or more female coaches on our staff. But it's, to me, it's like bigger than that. It's like the culture around it. Because if those people are part of a culture that doesn't value the things that you're talking about, that doesn't understand it, then none of that stuff matters because that's where it all stems from, right? Is the, is the overarching culture. All that other stuff um, can can go wrong and go, go badly as well too. So the thing that jumped out to me, that anecdote that you mentioned about the 12%, right? You can travel if you're at 12% body fat. And the person, I think they said, was it 16? Like setting just that completely arbitrary line is just very puzzling to me about why, why, why you draw that line. And also just when you read the mathematician quote, there's a couple of different ways to read it, right? One of it is, one is like, oh, like if we come to this university, we're just a number basically like we're just going to get punched into a spreadsheet and then someone's going to tell me oh you're going to run this or you're going to run that like there, there's that side of it too of of this is just basically a factory and if you're a mathematician you can figure this out there's no there's no individualization which is i think what the sport always calls for it's just like there's no one way to do it there's no one training program right and then there's no one perfect body type that need, that you need to excel in this, in, in this sport. Uh, Tiana Bartoletta wrote really well about this as she usually does on, on topics like this. And she talked about, you know, the different camps breaking down along the issue of, you know, people thinking you talk about it at all, it's harmful or of the other camp saying, it's just like, this is just part of the sport. We need to live with it. And she says, uh, I believe that for an athlete that is attempting to reach the next level of performance, pretending mass is not a variable is us not addressing a potential influencer of performance. At the same time, acting as if the number on the scale or that athlete's uh, body fat percentage is the performance indicator is straight bullshit, in her words. So, yeah, acknowledging that it's part of it, it's not the whole story. And when you started, that when you started, um, your, your point there talking about 18 to 22 year olds, I think we gloss over the fact of how challenging that time is for anybody, let alone somebody put into a situation of high stakes division one sports. And a lot of these athletes are coming from being the best in their city or the best in their state. And then they go into an environment 
where they're surrounded by a whole bunch of other people who are very good. And a lot of people are struggling just to keep up. And they are willing to take risks and do things in order to stay on top. And they see uh, any lack of success as their own failures as opposed to, hey, it's just going to take time to adjust or, hey, I'm just in this higher level of competition. Um, so I think the support system needs to be broadened for for these athletes to like let them know that this is not this is one one season in your life. This is not your entire life. This is not your entire running career, because the flip side is just people hating the sport, getting injured having serious long-term damage, right? Like they mentioned um, one of the women in the piece like was without her period for a long period of time. And that should not be the prerequisite for people to compete in track and field and compete at a high level. And like you said, Bartoletta's, you know, there's one camp who believes, how dare you talk about body fat in any for anything, right? And then there's people who believe you should only talk about it. It's it's just get over it. It's part of sport. And like you said, the third, it's like actually it's both. But clear like clearly track is not really a skill-based sport outside of like the jumping and, and hurling and pole vaulting and throwing stuff. But most it's just an endurance sport. So the skill is basically creating a perfect machine of your body, right? And in order to create a perfect machine of your body, you train well, but you also have to eat well. Well, our problem is that eat well is not a like, yeah, it's like you said, it's well, not you a, s- a data point. Yeah, it's not one size. It's not one size. I mean, everybody has to eat healthy, right? But different people's bodies are going to respond in, in different ways. I just, I go back to when we had Mary Kane on the pod a while ago, and it was Lincoln and I that were interviewing, I, I believe. And we're, I was talking with her and I asked, it's like some of the stuff it's like, it made you actively worse at running, but it was delivered under the guise of this is going to make you better, which is the, the the crazy irony here, right? Happy, healthy is going to make you fast. Maybe in the short term, and we've seen this before, right? We've seen this before at the collegiate level. Someone is amazing for a season and then they are no longer there and they're no longer able to sustain it. And then they have injuries the rest of their career. But like long-term, like you have to be happy and healthy. You just can't go on with an unsustainable system. So I hope actual changes come about. I know they, one of the women emailed one of the ADs at Oregon and and didn't get a response. I haven't seen, have you seen any responses come out other than the quotes in the article? No, not yet. Um, Yeah, I think one thing that maybe because we've had other kind of news breaking type moments like this in other programs, right? But the difference between this one and the other ones is that this one, all of the the people who are kind of leaking their, their putting out into the open are staying anonymous yep. and they rightly sh- should want to stay anonymous if they want to do that. But a lot of times it's harder to kind of bring change around anonymous voices as opposed to like people yeah, you know, Mary Kane isn't anonymous. She's like, guys, you know who I am. You saw me run. You saw what I was doing. This is what was actually happening behind the scenes. You can kind of be like, mm-hmm. whoa, it's eye opening. But if it's like, if the story is like a random Mikey Organ Project athlete who we don't know who we're gonna say it is, you kind of blur the lines and you're like, oh, it wasn't Mary. 
clearly wasn't Mary. Yeah. She was really good. You know, you start thinking, oh, it's probably yeah. the, the run to the litter athlete, whatever. Um, I do know, like, when I read this story, it kind of, I was like, a lot of it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because I remember a few years ago when NCAA regionals was in Austin, Texas. I'm not sure if it was the most recent one or the one before that, because it's been in Austin twice since I've been working at Flow. I heard a story from a, f- a fellow athlete who I'll leave anonymous, how the, the hotel that Oregon would stay at, the mm-hmm. staff would be asked to not put out the cookies in the lobby because they didn't want their Oregon athletes to be tempted with getting a free cookie in the lobby of the hotel. Mm. And so things like that, like a little thing, like you think one cookie in the hotel lobby is going to affect this person's performance at regionals? Like, no, they're, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, that's not going to happen. So like little things like that are like, they kind of just were over, over analyzing and over serious about trying to get every last advantage. And sometimes mm-hmm. a 19 year old can eat a cookie, right? They're in Austin, Texas. They can go out and like have a good time. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. They're, they're the, well, I wonder if they're talented, they're going to exceed. I wonder how all this fits into with the growing like empowerment around college athletes over the past couple of years. Cause again, these issues aren't new. But I feel like athletes, it seems like over the past two years on a variety of issues, um, are much more like likely to to speak up. And your know, track teams are big and different people have different experiences at track meets. There's a uh, one athlete quoted in, in the piece, uh, Ken's piece, that said she had a positive experience at Oregon. And I don't doubt that at all. I'm sure a lot of athletes have had positive experiences. But I think when you're talking about um, – a NCAA Division One program that's highly competitive. The the goal is for and that that is theoretically flush with resources is being able to meet the needs of 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 every athlete out there, not just not just the ones at the top or not just the ones that are naturally going to buy in or fit in. So something to watch moving forward. We got one more story, Gordon, to get to. The Jamaican fans in the chat can get to their keyboards because we're going to talk about TJ Gale. The 2019 world champion in the long jump, Gordon. He sent out a tweet. He confirmed that he's going for the 100 next year. He's going to try to compete in the 100 in 2022. A couple facts about Gale. As I mentioned, 2019 world champ. He's got a 1018 PB. Didn't make the final in the long jump last year. 25 years old. Um, Johan Blake last year had the fastest 100 by a Jamaican. It was 995. So what do you think of this decision? I saw Carl Lewis weighing in as well. So anytime there's a long jump 100 crossover, people get excited. Okay, so we know Jamaica is not doing too well on the men's side with sprints, right? They got the women on lock, all time on lock. But uh, Jamaica loves to shit on uh, the U.S. women, especially Shikari, because she talks a lot. But they're awfully quiet when it comes to the men sprinting ever since Usain Bolt has left the building. Because we're going to be honest, I think uh, now – Hasn't been good. In a relay, that's a different story. But in you know a, a 100 final, they know to be, be wary of Team USA. 
So mm-hmm. let's start with what Carl Lewis said. Um, he quote tweeted uh, TJ Gill. He says, it definitely can be done, so I say go for it. Remember, the way to win two is to dominate one first. My sprinting came when the long jump was rock, was rock solid. I'm sure K Street will tell you this the same. Man, I'm struggling for reading yeah. right now. Um, Kareem Street Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, basically saying like, in order, you can't be half and half. You have to be mm-hmm. super solid in one to go into the next. I mean, he is the, a world champion, so he has that long jump skill in him. However, has he been consistent? He kind of was like looking at of oh well, so he calls him out here. Long jump eight five consistently or forget it. <laughs> Gail hasn't really been long jumping eight fifty consistently. Um, no. Here's the question I have: no. Is this a move yeah. that he is saying I can do it? Like I can be a nine eight guy, or is this a move of Long jump's not giving me any love lately because I've been struggling. So I'm going to abandon it and try something else. Like, is he is he running away from the long jump, or is he running towards the hundred? And is he running towards the hundred because being the best in Jamaica right now is way more attainable in the hundred than it's ever been? And if this was a few years ago, or if they had the depth that they do on the women's side, would he even be? trying it i you know he was banged up at the olympics last year so we'll give him a mulligan but if you're looking at lewis's standard of 850 well he's run he's jumped 869 and then his next best is 832 certainly i mean 830s is enough to get the job done even so i'd say just consistently 830s uh but he's only jumped three times over 830. if this is supposed to be the savior for jamaican men's 100 meter running I'm not too confident. 1018, I know people are going to trot out Jacobs from Italy, former long jumper, but he was running some 10-0s many years before he he won that Olympic gold medal. And I think the best non-100 guy in Jamaica is actually Omar McLeod. Uh, he's broken 10 in the 100. And 999 back in 2016. So I think this tells us a little, a little bit about the state of Jamaican men's sprinting. I mean, throw this up there. Have we put up this chart if you could blake 995 tracy 10 uh this is last year uh julian forte 1003 ellis 10 i mean that's let's just call for what is not good for jamaica it's not good only one sub 10 guy next year so maybe gail's thinking i could do it i could get sub 10 and then i could be on the jamaican team the problem is being on the jamaican team does not mean anything anymore on the men's side in sprints well, it doesn't. I'm not trying to get, just get a reaction. It doesn't. It doesn't guarantee you anything. You, you, you run a 999 and you qualify for the World Championships at the Olympics. Where's that going to get you? Out of the first round, semifinals. maybe it's not getting you to a final. Yeah, semifinals. Yes, so, semifinals. I mean, if you want to be a semifinalist. Now, heck, I say go for it. Why not? Do it. He should do it. I just, if I'm a Jamaican fan, I'm not resting all my hopes for the men on a 10, 18, 25 year old long jumper to come save us. Yeah. And you know, we have seen people who come out and not come out of nowhere, but weren't invested in the hundred and then come out and become all time greats in the hundred, like Fred Curley. Um, and you could argue Sharika Jackson in a way, 
Michael Norman as well, kind of, uh, but mainly Curly. Jacobs. Jacobs. Not an, you know, not all time greats, but I think Curly. Curly wasn't. Curly was running still like ten low, and was like on the four by one at Texas A and M when he was a pure four hundred meter runner. Like yeah, when Curly was in like college age, like twenty. I guess 20 years old. He probably was like a 10-1, 10-2 guy. When yeah. Gale was college age, so five years ago, he was a 10-5 guy. Like, so that raw, like, sprint talent was already embedded in Curly. Doesn't seem to be too embedded in Gale. Now, maybe you can prove me wrong, but yeah, that's that's my takeaway. I mean, if that 10-18 was something that he ran, like, five years ago, then you can be like, all right, he does definitely has it. But 1018 as mo- recently as this past year isn't something – you don't go from 1018 to 9-8 in one year. I don't know. I just don't – I don't see that. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something in the Jamaican water. We'll, he'll he's training. get inspired by Elaine Thompson. Hurrah. Stephen yeah. Francis is his – no, I'm just- I'm saying Stephen Francis is his, is his coach. So Thompson Haraz, well, we now believe her old coach. So he's seen his fair share of sprinters there at the MVP track club. And maybe he's seeing something. But I also think this is this could be a move of opportunity. This this probably isn't a move you make if getting top three in your country involves running a 9-8 versus now getting top three in your country revolves running a 10-0. It's just way easier. It's way easier. And... I never would have predicted Jacobs would be as good as he is. I never would have predicted Curly Jackson. So they they adapted really well. But you're right. This is different. Like last year, he ran the 1018. You could say he wasn't training for it. That's fine. But 1018 is so far from what you need to get on the podium, which is sub 99. And probably next year, we're talking about how deep it's going to be. Maybe even sub, you know, low, low 98s potentially. I'm looking something up real quick. Got to find Jamaica on here. I'm going to do all. Oh, okay. Never mind. Gordon's looking looking at something. I was looking for something up. I thought for a second that Johan Blake didn't break, only broke 10 seconds in the U.S. at that Georgia meet, but he did break 10 seconds in Jamaica in the the semifinals. Because I was like, Jamaica didn't even have a sub ten on their own soil in twenty twenty one. I was gonna say that. Maybe but, you know, maybe he can be the catalyst. Maybe he can be the catalyst for for the Jamaican sprints. I mean, go to the two hundred here, Travis. Pull up the two hundred. It's rough there in the two as well. Two hundred was the first sign, I think it uh going back to nineteen. Yeah, twenty thirteen Rashid Dwyer and then twenty eighteen Johan Blake. So they had no sub twenty last year at all or this year excuse me don't know don't know don't know i don't i want to see it i'd love to see it does he put the long jump at risk maybe but was he locked into that gold medal slot as is no i don't think so tentacle looks pretty good anthony's confident in the comments and he says Francis will get Gale into sub nine eight shape as he has done before. Sub nine eight. Sub nine eight. I love the confidence. Let's do it. Hey, I will say I'm loud wrong if if he's able to run anywhere near that fast. 
I got some breaking news. Uh-oh. What happened? It's not really that breaking. But Alice Wright to attempt the UK one-hour record. We're talking about one-hour records. They're yes. making a comeback. Alice Wright saw what Mo Farah did in 2020. She's eyeing Michaela McCallum's record. What do you think the UK record distance-wise is for the one hour? Like, what do you think the fastest, the farthest British women? woman has ever run? Yeah, in an hour. Um, okay. How many meters? Seven seventeen thousand four hundred and fifty-four. Not bad. You're off by about a thousand. Sixteen thousand four hundred ninety-five. Ah. All right, that's a weak record. Alice Wright's going to get it. Get it into the 17s, Alice. There you go. Got it. Do you think they were just scouring through the record books for that one? Or is that just known? Do British fans just know the 16,000 mark is, is where it's at? What if, Do you think so there, you and me could find – you and me need to find a, an event that we could have the world record in. So Safan Hassan went 18,930 meters. So she almost went 19,000. And this British records is it sixteen thousand? You're 16, saying sixteen four? Yeah, sixteen point four. Jeez, that's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> if they ran at the same time, that's eighteen thousand nine hundred thirty and sixteen thousand. That's getting lapped. That's a lot a of lot, laps. Yeah. <laughs> a hypothetical race. Hey. That's a lot of lapping going on. That's not her problem though. She's trying to break her country record. So must, must yeah, respect. no, go for it. I think it's I think it's vulnerable. The fact that I thought that it was seventeen, I said seventeen four, maybe even seventeen low. Wait, what's the record again? Say it one more time. Sixteen thousand what? Sixteen thousand four hundred and ninety-five. Oh, that's tough. Okay, so she she needs to run twelve hundred meters more. So she'd need to lap this this old record holder by you know three three laps to get into seventeen. When's this happening? I'm invested now. Um, it's we happening. Lost, we lost Gordon Stern. Lost me. Uh, when is it happening? I'm I still know. here. Gordon's just not paying attention now. We totally lost focus. The last. I don't episode. have a date. Oh, yeah. There's no date. You don't have a date. Where's the date? Okay. Oh, She's October thirtieth. October thirtieth. Okay. Oh, okay. So, all right. Well, we got something to talk about on Monday then. That's good. All right. That's the show. Flowtrack Podcast at gmail.com. Do you want to see a preview of my no. costume? Sure, but you have to hold it so people can see it. An Oregon O? No. Are you, are you are you Hayward Field? No. That would be interesting to be. But yeah, I, I made it. It fits my head really well, right? I'll let people try to yeah, figure out in the comments what I'm going to be. I'm going to paint my face the same color as this, just for the record. So I'm going to have a giant gold disc. That's my face. Gotcha. You're not going right. to know because you don't. you're not into pop culture anymore. Nope. Not, never been, never been. Casey and JoJo, great band. I remember them. They were awesome. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Colt. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Remember, Friday, Flowtrack Podcast, 2.45 p.m. Central. Gordon will be wearing a costume. I might as well. Talk to you guys later.